Hey there, podcast listeners. Welcome to Talking Wealth, the show where the Wealth Within team are on hand to teach you how to become a more confident, competent, and more importantly, profitable trader or investor. Wealth Within was voted number three for stock market podcasts globally in 2018, so I hope you enjoy listening. We cover topics from trading to investing, as well as wealth creation to ensure you can achieve your financial goals. Because as we always say, lifestyle matters. As a global leader in stock market education, you can fast track your journey towards financial freedom by studying with Wealth Within. If you'd like more information about our government accredited courses or to listen to more Talking Wealth podcasts, head over to wealthwithin.com.au and click on the Talking Wealth podcast under the Learning Centre. Please note that the information in this podcast should not be considered personal financial advice. Hello and welcome to Talking Wealth. I'm Dale Gillen, the Chief Analyst here at Wealth Within and hopefully everything's getting back to normal where you are. I know us here in Melbourne, you know, we're now out of lockdown, we're COVID safe. We've had, I don't know, so many days of double digits or well, they call it double donuts. Um, I think we're 26, 27 days now um, without any cases or deaths in Victoria and I know there's a little bit of a challenge in the news in um, South Australia at the moment, but generally the Australian market, Australia, is getting a little bit more back to normal. People starting to travel, which is an exciting time. So hopefully we can keep up this and we keep moving in the right direction, and the the country becomes COVID free. And obviously that brings up a whole lot of new challenges as well. Obviously with international travel, etc. I know I was supposed to be overseas. Um, in uh, May this year, May and June this year. And I had planned to be in again in um, September, October. I had planned to be in the US with some business interests over there and working with some great people over there, which I do with uh, our recordings we do with Flix.net. If you haven't seen that, it's F-L-I-X-X.net. Um, Jenny and I do a show called Talking Wealth. Um, which is what you're listening to. You're listening to Talking Wealth Podcast, which Janine and I have been doing for for I think 15, 16 years or something with Janine and I have been doing these. We've now launched it as a TV show um, on flix.net, F-L-I-X-X.net, if you want to go and have a look at it. We're into, at the moment, we're interviewing a lot of uh, US people and having a chats, and um, it's all about things wealth, like our podcast here is, and eventually our plan is to do it in Australia as well and um, have this nice little show where we're interviewing different experts and talking about general wealth creation as we do here but today i really wanted to start getting into the asx investor survey now if i go back to the front page of the survey if you don't mind me flicking some pages this it's called the australian asx australian investor study 2020 now the asx asx if i can say that properly i don't have a new zealand accent um if i that's not too bad if i did have one but anyway um it's a survey they did earlier this year and i'm not sure whether it was um, February, March, I can't remember, but I know the ASX has put out a few different things. They put out a report um, regarding investor retail investor trading during COVID-19, which took into account about six or eight weeks during the whole meltdown. And I know I've talked about that on a previous podcast, but that's available for free. Um, if you want to Google it, just Google ASX um, survey into retail investor trading during COVID. It'll come up and you'll be able to download that free. But this report is one they do about every three or four years, I think it is. It might be every two years. But I think it's about every three years, maybe four. And I know I've made podcasts on prior ones several times before because I always find it really, really interesting to see 
what people are doing and how they're doing it and, and how investor sentiment changes on how um, how economics or how the economy, when it's changing, what people's opinions are, how they've changed and what they're doing. And it's really, really interesting looking at these surveys. And this one is about 60 pages long, the results, and the ASIC contracted out to companies to do the surveys for them. But the first part I really wanted to, to cover on this today was about the impact of COVID-19. Um, and there's pretty much a summary of it on page seven. Now, if you do want to get this survey, just, again, just Google ASX Investor Survey 2020. So here's the title, ASX Australian Investor Study 2020, and you'll be able to download it. If you go to their website, they I think they launched a new website and did and launched this at the same time, but you should be able to find it there. Download the PDF for free and really get into it because it does share with you where people get it right and where people get it wrong. But it also helps you if you deep dive into it. It really helps you understand why the market is doing what, why it does what it does and why the, the, the I was going to say the noise of the media is there, but the how, why people talk the way they do. And it really is, uh, we find a lot of people, uh, a lot of retail investors have some interesting ideas. Now, I know on our YouTube channel, you know, um, uh, just the other day, actually, we get comments from people who, can I kindly say think they actually know what they're talking about, but in their comments on our YouTube um, videos, their ignorance shines through like a big lighthouse in a storm. It's just the way they phrase some of their comments and some of their comments, you know. Uh, you know, I've had people saying, you know, hey, looking at charts is, you know, you just... It doesn't work. It's yeah. You know, it is like a, having a crystal ball. Your tea leaf reading, you know, blah blah blah. And people's ignorance just really like that just shows through. Is, you know, yes, there's two forms of analysis being fundamental and technical. And most people think if you're not doing well, not most people. Sorry, some people think that fundamental analysis is the be all and end all. And any anybody that looks at a chart is pretty much. Um, uneducated git if that makes sense um, you know and, and some people come in and they talk about you know experts and they put it in, in inverted commas and being tongue in cheek and but you, but going into the ASX survey you can understand why some of those people do do that and, and show their ignorance you know because there's more than one way to skin a cat as you guys because you know, you're intelligent you're listening to, to Janine and I and, and really you know I think you know we've become friends over years haven't we you know I know a lot of people listening so these podcasts have become really good friends over the years, you know, because they've just been listening for so long and occasionally I'll see one on the street. Yesterday I was out getting my car serviced and you know, one of the mechanics come out and he um, helped my wife with some settings on the car or something and what we were doing and then he turned around to me and he says, oh, Dad, I love your books. Fantastic. Thanks very much. And that's really nice when I see that. And I love helping and sharing. And, and oh, geez, I'm knocking things here. Um, so does Janine. So, but let me get into the survey, and I'll show you a little. We'll talk about a few of the statistics. But again, this is um, this is shift in sentiments and behaviour between January and May. So these are the. So we're talking about that sort of five months, just sort of pre-COVID, COVID crash through to May. So these are the impact uh, that the ASX came up with during their survey. Now it said. 8.4%. Um, so the expected investment returns over the next 12 months have fallen from a median of 8.4 to 5%. So people, the respondents to this survey at that period of time between January and May said 
um, they expected their return to go to 5% from 8.4%. Now, 8.4%, you know, it sounds pretty good, but if you understand the stock market and you understand and you have knowledge about buying and selling and how to get in, how to get it, how to protect your money, 8.4% is easy to do. You know, it's you should be doing, most people should be averaging um, somewhere between anywhere at least bare minimum 10 probably more like 12 to 14 15 percent to 25 percent if not every single year but if you know what you're doing and if you you know follow the rules sort of in my book or in our basic course trading mentor you should be able to do easily do 10 percent, no problems at all especially with dividend yields if you're lumping that in if it's just growth you should be able to do 10 percent per annum some years you might do 30 and other years you might do minus five but over a period of time you'll average at least 10 you're probably more like average 15 possibly more than 20 depending on the level of knowledge you have and your experience but but this just shows you people's expectations has dropped from 8.4 down to five percent during that period it also says 54 percent have made changes to their portfolio so one in two people made a change to their portfolio and you may have done that too and i don't have an issue with that because if stocks are falling, as you know, Janine and I strongly suggest that you have exit strategies protect your capital. So I would have expected that figure to be much higher. I would have expected that, in my view, this should be 100%, not 54%, or you know, close to, unless you buy and hold, which suggests a lot of people um, have made some um, decisions, and there's a lot of people that haven't made any decisions on their portfolio. But and this is retail investors. Remember, it's talking about not institutional type stuff Uh, it says 28 percent have changed their retirement plan so nearly a third of people change their retirement plans it says 17 percent have invested all of their spare cash so 17 percent so nearly one in five people have invested all of their spare cash that's interesting to me why did they do that you know after the covid low remember talking about may here so we had uh, January, February, March, April, and May. So uh, after the March low, April and May were quite strong. So maybe they all went in with all their cash in those two months. Um, it says those who have invested all of their spare cash are now more likely to hold direct Australian and international shares and ETFs. So direct international shares, direct Australian shares, and direct and ETFs. It says 13% have increased their allocation to cash. So only 13% of Australians increased their allocation to cash. 57% plan to buy Australian shares. So just nearly, you know, well, 60, 57% There's a lot of people um, planning to buy Australian shares. 17% are planning to buy international shares. 28% are planning to buy ETFs. Now, I'm sure if you've been listening to this podcast, you know my thoughts on ETFs. and Because generally people buy index ETFs and that's the biggest ones they're pushing and I was reading a thing from beta shares today I think and another one on um, another company was reporting on ETFs um, and returns of ETFs this year and I think it was saying there's only five ETFs actually beat beat the benchmark um, and it was basically it was saying how the performance wasn't up to what most people wanted and you know but it doesn't surprise me 28% want to buy ETFs and yet I think if you're buying an index ETFs it's like you're an ostrich putting your head in the sand and forgetting about it and why would you do that you're just buying a managed fund and huge risk in ETFs to me is they've never ever ever been tested um, like we saw during the, the GFC and that will come and when that day comes 
I'm seeing the same sort of thing that we had during the GFC, that people will lose money. So if you're one of these people that loves ETFs, and I don't have a problem with specific ETFs like, let's say, gold or um, emerging technologies or rare earths or something like that. So more specific areas. But if you've got an index ETF, that's what I'm talking about. I really don't like them. And I think there's some real risks and real huge dangers there. And we're not seeing that. And uh, when we do get to another point where the market melts down, not just from an event-driven thing like COVID, but I'm talking about a real meltdown where it's sustained, I think there's going to be issues with ETFs. Um, and it'll probably happen in the next 10 years or so because it just gets bigger and bigger and bigger. That area. The bigger it gets, the more the danger is. Um, but I won't go on that. The next statistic says that 17% are more likely to seek advice. And that's interesting because it used to be like about... Um, yeah, it's probably a little bit less. It used to be one in three people would be open to seek advice. Now it's about 17%, but it is interesting. Uh, but again, it, it goes on to say, you know, the, 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 or it actually says on page eight of this survey, it says responses to the pandemic vary significantly by age. With sudden market falls underlying the importance of sequencing risk, the risk that poor investment performance occurs when investors are, are approaching retirement when they typically have the largest portfolios and the least time to recover from the losses. More than one in five investors aged between 35 and 64 say they plan to delay retirement. Now, that's a shame. Uh, whilst 29% of 55 to 64-year-olds intend to live on less money or rely on Social Security. Now, that's an alarming statistic, 55 to 64-year-olds. And it's interesting how you see people you know, in the news and they talk about it you know, about retiring and not having enough money in retirement. And, you know, you've heard me say those statistics all the time about retirement, how people are living in existence on the pension, you know, then to me that the pension is not a retirement plan. It's seriously not. Um, But I do know people that just say, hey, look, I've worked 40 years of my life. It's my right to have a pension. No, it's a privilege to get one. You know, Australia is a, a lucky country and the government, we're privileged that the government gives out money um, to support us in our retirement, but it's it's a safety net. That's all it is. It's uh, otherwise it would be at a level that everybody could have a nice lifestyle on, but it's not. It's at a set at a level that it's an existence. It's stopping you. Well, so it's not stopping you. It's allowing people to eat, basically, if that makes sense in a broad sense. It's not going to give you a lavish lifestyle if you fail to plan. And you have your superannuation, which is not enough, as we know, um, and you rely on that and the pension, then you can't complain that you're just, you're not getting ahead and you're not, you can't do stuff and the cost of living because if you're failing to plan, that's what's going to happen in the end. And we've seen that constantly in the media for decades. So again, it's always up to us to be responsible for our future. And, and this is really saying that, you know, as I said, 29% of 54, five to 64 year olds intend to live on less money. How do you do that if you haven't really planned and saved or rely on social security? That's also bad. I know, again, I know people on social security and they struggle. Um, but as anything is possible in Australia, regardless. And I, I, I remember um, a little while ago, I was recording a video, and I, you know, I grew up, uh, as you people know, um, from listening to my podcast. I grew up on a single parent family. My dad died when I was three months old. My mum had no money. She was on a widow's pension, bringing up three very, very young kids. But my mum always found other ways to make extra money to give us those little extra things that 
we might have needed. And even before she died, she was still doing part-time work and she was at 70, 71 before she died, uh, she passed away. And she wouldn't take money from myself or my mom, my brother, you know. She knew that it was there if she needed it. But, you know, she went and did things, whereas a lot of people don't tend to do that. She was always about, do I need money? What do I do? Um, the ASX survey goes on as the COVID-19 market disruption unfolded over three months from May to May. Sorry, 54% of investors made changes to their portfolio, with younger investors most likely to have made significant shifts and older investors more inclined to stick with their existing strategy. So older people were less flexible and younger people much more nimble, which is exciting to me. The younger investors were much more nimble getting in and out and because they were taking risks, but then they took too big a risk. You know, we saw a lot of them were jumping into different stocks and for a while there, for six or eight weeks there, they were investment gurus and since then, they probably haven't done, or they haven't done that well. Whereas you know, older investors were low to change their investment strategy, and this is where you do need to be a little bit more active. And if you had a buy and hold strategy, you'd still be struggling right now. It says 12% of retirees defined as those age 60 and over and wealth accumulators 25 to 59 switch from risky investments to more secure options, whilst 5% of accumulators sold everything and moved to cash. Interesting. So accumulators were the younger people. 25 to 55-year-olds, so that's wealth accumulators, switch from risky to more secure. You don't do it after the event. This is where I, I find people they go, something happens, so then they change. Well, generally, as Buffett says, buying doom, selling boom, and didn't get more doomy than those few weeks during the COVID crisis. So they pulled out and moved into less risky investments. This is what you should be doing more towards the end of re- your lifespan. So in terms of your re- working life, so the last five years before you retire, you should be going to less risky investments. We often, But we often see the opposite happen. Is people go, oh, geez, I can't retire. I haven't got enough money. So they go and put more money into more higher risk investments in, in an effort to catch up. And trying to catch up in five years is, is not that easy if you don't have a lot of knowledge and experience. And, you know, you can do it with your trading. And we get a lot of people in that sort of 45 to 55, 60 year bracket come and do our, our diploma course in order to learn how to make more money in the market. And it's, it's an attempt to catch up. And I, fan- I think it's fantastic that they do that because at least then they're going to have a hell of a lot better returns and a lot more confidence, a lot more comfort and a lot more security in their life. Um, and they, we do have some great results from these people. But again, you need to be planning all the way through your life. The survey goes on to say that overall investors were more likely to increase their holdings of growth assets like shares rather than reduce them. Among the 54% who made changes to their investment mix, 17% took advantage of lower asset prices to invest all of their spare cash, including 34% of the next generation investors aged 18 to 24 and 18% of accumulators. um, Similarly, 17% of investors increased their allocation into Australian direct shares with just 3% selling down their shareholding. So people were putting all their cash into Australian market. That's pretty much what they were doing and and getting into shares, which is great to see because I think our market is fantastic. Um, It also went to say that suggests very few investors have sold into a declining market, crystallising their losses. That's interesting. And you know what Janine and I talk about that. You need to sell down um, when the market's falling. If you'd done that and come back later, you would have made a little bit more money. Um, but with many mewing market volatility is a buying opportunity. I hear, often hear, you know, I just buy the dips and 
yeah, that's what you can do, but we had you know, and at the bottom in truth, uh, in March, there was absolutely nothing saying that that was the bottom for quite a while, actually. And this is where people were taking high risk. And most experts like Janine and I, and many that I know of that I well respected, all expect a little bit of a bounce and then another fall away. It didn't happen. But the chances of it happening were quite high. And if that had happened, those same people who put all their money or cash into those investments would have suffered a secondary fallout and then got bitten by that again. And that's really where, you know, Janine, I can't stress enough how dangerous that part was um, back in March and into April, why people think they're, as I said, the younger people thought they were investment geniuses, even though they had no knowledge. Um, but again, it, as I said, the, the market survey was saying suggests that you know, they didn't sell in that declining market. But it raises, or I said, it, however, it raises the possibility that at least some new recent market entrants have been engaged in short-term speculation rather than long-term wealth creation, potentially putting them at risk of losses if the recent volatility continues. And that's really what I was trying to say. Um, one of the other things that I thought before I finish up, and again, I'm only on the uh, page seven and eight of this whole survey. Um, about that but one of the biggest things that I thought was an exciting thing was women coming into the market and uh, and if I find it I'm just going to move it is here we go um, on page six it says of those who began investing in the last 12 months 45 percent are women and I think that's amazing figure. I think it's fantastic to see. We've seen a lot more of an increase in um, ladies inquiring about our courses because ladies tend to be, how do I say it? I won't say smarter than guys, but a little bit more mature about all this than guys is. Ladies know they they really do know that they need to know. They don't they don't have overinflated egos. I suppose is an easy way for me to say it. A lot of ladies are the opposite, thinking, oh, you know, can I do this? Whereas a guy will just go and do it, um, and you know throw caution to the wind and hopefully something sticks if you know what I mean whereas ladies tend to want to get the education so they're buying my books they're they're looking at our courses they're doing our courses so but that's a a fantastic statistic because there isn't enough participation by women in the marketplace and ladies do make really good investors and traders and it's not impossible it's not too hard they can do it so um, and really as I said I congratulate all the ladies that did get into the market but again, it's about getting the right knowledge and the right experience, and anything is impossible. So, but, um, but to me, this survey is saying to me that all the things that I would expect anyway. Um, when you get times of volatility, we're seeing a big influx of new people under twenty-five getting into the market and really taking high risks, um, and they don't know the risk they're taking because, as always, you don't know what you don't know. Um, but anyway, I'm going to finish up this podcast here, but I will do some more on this ASX survey moving forward. But uh, you've been listening to Talking Wealth. I'm Dale Gillen, the Chief Analyst here at Wealth Within. Take care. Have a great week. Thanks for listening. This podcast is brought to you by Wealth Within, a global leader in stock market education. For more information on our courses or to listen to more Talking Wealth podcasts, head over to wealthwithin.com. And click on the Talking Wealth podcast under the Learning Centre.